Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do care about the Green Bay Packers and we don't care about anything else. Let's go. Right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, December 13th, and today we are going to be previewing the Packers Bucks Sunday matchup at Lambeau Field. It is already week 15, and that is crazy, crazy, crazy to say. I know that it's been a tough couple of days since the Packers dropped one to the New York Giants, a very, very tough loss, and that one I'm kind of still getting over it myself. But we only have a few weeks of regular season football left, so let's try to enjoy every single second of it because, man, I know all too well that in, you know, a month, two months, it's going to be the NFL offseason, and we're going to be talking about the draft, and I'm going to be saying, man, I wish the Packers were playing on Sunday. So savor these games, savor the Packers playing on Sunday. With that being said, there are plenty of people who may well not be playing on Sunday because the Packers injury report is up to, if my count is correct, 15 people. Those people are Jair Alexander, who was limited on Wednesday with a shoulder. AJ Dillon did not participate with a thumb. Kingsley Anagbari limited with a toe. Elton Jenkins limited with a shoulder. Aaron Jones limited with a knee. Keyshawn Nixon limited with a quad. Jonathan Owens limited with a knee. Jaden Reed limited with an ankle. Darnell Savage did not participate with a shoulder. TJ Slayton limited with a quad. Eric Stokes, Activated off IR. That's some good news there. Full participant with a hamstring. Koi Walker did not participate with the shoulder. Christian Watson did not participate with a hamstring. And Don Tavion Wicks did not participate with an ankle injury. Yeah, that's right. There are a lot of people there. On the new injuries front, Don Tavion Wicks, I expect him to be out for some time. Again, he told reporters after the game that his ankle was effed up. So, yeah. Not really sure what the the timeline is for his return there. A.J. Dillon and Darnell Savage, they both did not participate today with their respective injuries, a thumb for Dillon and a shoulder for Darnell Savage. Just kind of going to have to see how that plays out, hopefully. Not too bad, especially on the Dillon front. The Packers really can't afford to be out more running backs right now, but we'll see what happens there. Some good news, Eric Stokes activated off of IR. That is not just good news, that is awesome news because Eric Stokes is a cornerback that the Packers really, 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 really need. And hopefully, hopefully they can get him back. Maybe, just maybe, on uh, on Sunday, but we'll see. Good news on the Eric Stokes front. And then Christian Walker, Christian Watson, Quay Walker, both didn't play last week. They both did not practice today. I wouldn't expect them to to play in Sunday's game. The really the one piece of good news we got, Jaden Reed didn't have a concussion listed, so sounds like his head's all good. Hit the ankle seems to be minor. In fact, he said he was going to play on Sunday. So a good sign there. Actually, not just a good sign, an awesome sign considering the Watson and Wicks injuries and the complete lack of receiver talent, to put it nicely, or at least playmaking talent that they'd have if Reed were also out. Uh, other bits of news. 
the Packers made some quick other roster moves. So they released cornerback Kai Blue Kelly. They signed wide receiver Thyreek, Thyreek Pitts to the practice squad. And then linebacker Austin Ajiaki, he was released from the from the practice squad. That's kind of what we have from a news standpoint. With that, let's jump into the game, previewing the game on the whole. And it's pretty funny looking at this Packers team, how quickly narratives flip. And it is so true that in today's NFL, when you win, people just forget about all the negatives. And when you lose, people really forget about the positives. And the Packers would have likely been massive favorites going into this game at home against a, you know, good, not great Bucks team just a week and a half ago. Now, the Bucks pull out a win versus Atlanta. Green Bay drops a game to New York, and I don't know exactly what the, the odds are at, but this thing definitely looks a whole lot different than it would have a week and a half ago. The Bucks are a frisky team. They've got a decent offense. They've got a decent defense. Looking at their offense, their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is, you know, not great, but he's serviceable. And then more scarily, um, they have their running back, Rashad White, who they've really been riding the last few weeks. They have a decent offensive line. They have some really good receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They've been a, dis- a decent team this year. They've put up respectable offensive numbers. And, I mean, it doesn't change that much for me going into this game because I still expect the Bucks' uh, offense to put up somewhere between 21 and 28 points on this Joe Barry defense. In fact, I would bet my mortgage on the fact that Joe Barry's defense is not going to give up 40 points, but it sure as hell isn't going to hold them to 10 points. It's going to be somewhere between 21 and 28. And then it comes down to the Packers offense versus the Bucks defense. Looking at the Bucks defense, it's a relatively young defense. They have some nice, fun players that have fared relatively well, especially as of late. And aside from one game against Houston, who has quarterback and CJ Stroud that is getting a huge amount of hype, the Bucks have held every single opponent to under 30 points. That includes the high-flying San Francisco 49ers. It includes the, at the time, high-flying Detroit Lions. And again, at the time, high-flying Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm going to tell you one thing. While we know pretty much what we're going to get from the defense week after week after week, and I'm pretty sure the Bucks' offense is going to put up somewhere from 21 to 28 points, I have no clue, absolutely no clue what we're going to get from this offense and what the Packers offense versus this Bucks defense is going to look like because the Packers were awful early in the year. You know, weeks one to two were nice and then three through eight looked awful and then it looked like they were improving. Five steady, solid, improve, improved weeks, right? And then you beat the Lions, you beat the Chiefs. Looks like they're becoming this really good team. But boom you have this atrocious letdown game against the Giants and MetLife. And for the rest of the season, I'm just going to say, going into every game, I don't know which offense is going to show up. Hopefully, it's the offense we saw versus Kansas City. We saw versus Detroit where they were hitting their stride, really putting up points. Maybe it won't, it won't be, and, and we'll just have to see how that works. I will say, it is pretty interesting how... Packers offense, when they have either Luke Musgrave or Christian Watson, has been able to put up pretty decent results. Now, weeks, you know, four through eight weren't the best from a production standpoint. But in all other weeks, week nine, week 10, week 11, week 12, week 13, they had Christian Watson 
or they had Luke Musgrave, or they had both. Actually, in in a couple of those weeks, they had both. And then in weeks one and two, no, they didn't have Watson, but they had Musgrave. Guess what? Packers produced offensively. Now you take out two of the biggest field stretchers on the team, Musgrave in the middle, Watson on the outside. Things start to collapse. So that's something they're going to have to overcome. I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that they go into a game where they don't have either of the two. I think their first game of the season where they don't have either of the two. And all of a sudden, things fall apart a little bit. With that being said, let's jump into my offensive notes, my offensive keys to this game, because my first offensive key, stop the self-inflicted mistakes. Stop them. Please stop them. Because, and I tweeted this out, in a sea of negativity around the offensive side of the ball, I think there is, I'm not even going to call it a positive, but a glimmer of hope within the Giants game. And that is that the Packers had 11 drives. They scored two touchdowns, three field goals on, on, on through five of those drives. So a total of five scores on 11 drives. What happened on the other six drives? Because that's not great, right? Obviously, 22 points definitely isn't great. What happened? Well, the first drive of the game, the first drive where the Packers didn't put up points. They were moving the ball well. They had second and three at their own 43. And then guess what? Jordan Love misses two layups. The first one, he misses a throw to Dobbs on the outside, where Dobbs definitely could have helped him out. Dobbs didn't help him out, drops it. Packers go to third and three. And then Jordan Love misses an out to Dontavian Wicks on what should have been an easy, easy first down. Instead, they have to punt. On the second drive of the game, the second drive where the Packers didn't put up points, it was that one, I will say, that was just a bad drive. They didn't move the ball at all. They just, they go three and out deep in their own territory, didn't pick up a first down. They deserve to be stopped that drive. That was an ugly offensive drive. The fourth drive of the game, the third drive where they didn't put up any points. Packers were moving the ball again. They're inside Giants territory, third and two. Jordan pulls the ball on a keeper, and instead of following Tucker Craft's block around the edge for, honestly, going back and watching the game, what likely would have been a first down, he ducks inside, not only gets tackled short of the sticks, but fumbles the ball and Green Bay misses out on at least three points there. The fourth drive, or the fifth drive of the game, the fourth drive where the Packers didn't put up any points, Green Bay was at midfield. On the second play of the drive, just the second play of the drive, with Green Bay at midfield, Jordan throws an awfully ill-advised ball to Wicks for an interception. The seventh drive of the game, fifth drive where they didn't put up points, Packers. We're into the second half. Packers, they pick up a first down, get up to midfield, and then... Jordan completes a pass to A.J. Dillon on what he on a pass he really should have just dirted because A.J. loses 10 yards on that play. Have to throw that ball into the ground. He didn't. They have to punt. And then the ninth drive of the game, the sixth drive where the Packers didn't put up any points. They drive all the way down. This was such a painful drive. The Green Bay Packers drive all the way down to the New York 16-yard line. Then they run three plays. The first one, an end around to Jaden Reed. That goes for a negative one. Jordan Love, flushed to his right, incomplete to Toure in the end zone. And then Jordan gets sacked, and Anders Carlson misses a 45-yard field goal. That's another potential three points that the Packers missed out on. So first of all, let's say they hit the three points on that last drive, the ninth drive of the game. Not the last drive, but the last drive where they didn't put up any points. And then on that, what was it, third drive of the game where Jordan fumbled? Let's just say, theoretically, they hit on both of those. They hit two field goals there. Boom. All of a sudden, you're up to 28 points, which, do the math, 
would have won them the game if Love, again, doesn't fumble, and Anders hits the field goal attempt on that ninth drive. Not only that, not, I'm not trying to say, you know, this massive positive is that they could have put up 28 points, but in those six drives, there was legitimately one real drive where the Packers actually deserved to get stopped. And that one drive is the second drive of the game, the second drive where they didn't put up any points too, where they just go three and out in their own territory. That was a bad drive. But of the other five drives where they didn't get points, this is how those drives ended. First one, Love misses two layup throws that he's been making all season. Packers have to punt. Next drive, Love fumbles. Then Love throws an interception. Then Love and AJ Dillon, they combine for a pass of negative 10 yards, which you just can't overcome. And then Anders Carlson misses a field goal after the offense stalled in the red zone. So in four of those, all but the one where Jordan threw the interception for no reason, Green Bay was actually moving the ball. That means on eight of the Packers' 11 drives, they were moving the ball well, picking up first downs, getting to around midfield. On nine of the Packers' 11 drives, they either put up points or they were... The only reason they didn't put up points is that they killed themselves. So either they put up points, punched in a touchdown, field goal, whatever, or the reason they did up, didn't put up points was because they screwed themselves over with an interception, a fumble, missing layups, getting a loss of 10 yards, or missing a field goal, right? The Packers, if you don't mess up on even a couple of those drives, you're probably winning that football game. The Packers, in this game against the Bucs, need to simply not shoot themselves in the foot. How do they do that? Well, it starts with Jordan. He needs to be better. We'll talk about him later. Aside from that fourth quarter, I think this Giants game was by far his worst of the year. He looked uncomfortable. I think the best way of describing his performance was awkward. He just, he didn't seem ever to be comfortable, and he needs to be better. He needs to not turn the ball over. That's obvious. Now, the interception... That was a weird ball. I don't know why Jordan's throwing that, right? That was a that was a scratch your head kind of moment. He also fumbled. Now, fumbles, I don't like saying this quarterback is bad because they fumbled here because not all not all turnovers are created equally to me. Now, if a quarterback fumbles 12 times in the year, yeah, they probably have a problem. Specifically as if those fumbles aren't strip sacks a la Daniel Jones, right? But if, I mean, Jordan Love fumbled once in a game, okay, get over it. Probably not going to happen too much, right? Um, but more importantly, he missed a lot of layups. There were a lot of layups in that game, very confusing layups that he missed where he was, he's been hitting them all year. Out routes, he's been hitting with such ease, consistency. It's been awesome. But all of a sudden, he just wasn't hitting those in this game. I get that it was windy, he needs to be better. He was the reason a lot of those drives stalled, whether it was an interception, a fumble, the first drive where he missed two layups, or the drive where he completed a pass to AJ for negative 10 instead of dirting the ball, right? Four of those drives, all on Jordan. He he needs to be better. The receivers, they also need to be better because, and this is going to be tough, because Green Bay is down, Dontavon Wicks and Christian Watson, more than likely, but you're starting receivers. Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath, Samari Toure, two guys in Dobbs and Malik Heath that I've labeled at this point possession receivers, one that hasn't made a play in what feels like a century in Samari Toure. Luckily, thank the dearest Lord that Jaden Reed still exists. All those guys need to be better because they weren't 
quite good enough. On Monday, when catches are there, catch the ball. Dobbs had a drop last game. Heath had a drop, though that didn't end up mattering so much because he came back the next play and punched in the touchdown. There was a ball to Toure that, yes, Love admitted. Love missed it. And, I mean, yeah, you'd like to see the ball. So Samari Toure ran a go ball, and Love... Samari Toure had a step on his defender, no question. And Love put the ball maybe half a foot to a foot behind where you want the ball to be. And it allowed the defender to make a great play, come in, and swat the ball away. But I will say, if we're going to criticize Christian Watson for not going back and attacking the ball, Samari Toure maybe come back and get the ball. Uh, I get it. Honestly, I wouldn't criticize Toure that way. I think that is not a ball that you expect him moving almost full speed downfield to be able to come back and get. But if we're going to criticize Christian, we're going to criticize Toure, right? So receivers, they have to go out there. They have to create separation. That's a given. But more than anything, they have to make the catches when they're there. That's another way the Packers can avoid shooting themselves in the foot. And then most importantly, man, the offensive line has to be better because protection was not good enough on Monday. I want to, you know, I put the the negative 10-yard pass on Jordan and, and AJ, but mostly Jordan for not dirting it. But the whole reason that play has to be made at all is that Jordan gets pushed backwards like 17 yards behind the line of scrimmage because the offensive line collapses around him. Protection was not good enough, and it's going to need to be better versus Tampa Bay, and that is going to be tough versus guys like Vita Vea, Kalijah Kansi, Logan Hall, Shaq Barrett, etc., right? So Zach Tom has to be better, though upon rewatch, I don't think he played as poorly as I thought he played initially. John Runyon has to be better. That is a given. And the line has to hold up for Jordan because he was under pressure a decent number of snaps. And it definitely led to some of those errors. So from all aspects, Green Bay cannot shoot themselves in the foot. We've seen them get better at not shooting themselves in the foot week after week after week. But I, I think last night, it wasn't a total return to form because they did execute well on really a lot of run plays that they had not been executing well on before. So it wasn't like this total return to form where it was like, holy crap, a player screwing up every single play. But it was a, a semi-return to form in the sense that players weren't really playing as well as they needed to. And when they did shoot themselves in the foot, they, I mean, screw shooting themselves in the foot. When they shot themselves, they didn't shoot themselves in their foots, feet, crap. Um, they shot themselves in their arteries right? They were just, the, the shots that they took on themselves tanked their drives, and they can't shoot themselves at all this weekend. This is an awful analogy, but whatever. They can't shoot themselves at all this weekend, at least not four or five different times in four or five critical locations of the body. Okay, I'm done with the shooting analogy, but you get what I'm trying to say. They can't make these devastating mistakes. That's the less gruesome way of saying it. My second key to this game is Matt LaFleur. That's right. Matt LaFleur is my key to this game because the Packers might be out their four, three, three best receiving options in Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, Dontavon Wicks, and then Jaden Reed will be in. I'm not sure where he slots in, but anyway, they'll be out three of their four best receiving options, Musgrave, Watson, Wicks, and Reed. And so even if all of those guys are out, all three of those guys, Matt LaFleur has to find a way to create a game plan and step up and find 
a way of of allowing the offense to have success in spite of the lack of talent at the playmaker spot. It's his job. Honestly, it's 100% Matt's job to go out, to find a game plan to beat Tampa Bay, despite being at a massive disadvantage. And if Matt puts together an appropriate game plan, finds a way to get the ball to the available players, they'll be okay. If he doesn't, they maybe, maybe won't be. So how does he do this? How does he put together a game plan despite not having not having Christian, not having Wicks, not having Luke Musgrave? Well, my preferred choice would be finding success in the running game because they found some success versus New York. They found some success versus Kansas City. And I think the success versus Kansas City is definitely more of, of what you're looking for. But the Packers have to find a, a running game that they can lean on enough to take vertical shots because the Packers were doing a lot of horizontal action a lot a lot a lot of horizontal action versus New York it was the it was a spam Jaden Reed end around fest in New York on Monday night I'd like to see them use him vertically a little bit get him vertical because he showed in college that he could be a deep threat we haven't really seen that from him since get him vertical but how do you do that some of it has to come off of play action Let's see if they can do that. Run the ball well, develop play action, hit Dobbs in the middle, hit Heath in the middle, and then all, all of a sudden, maybe you run Reed on a crosser, boom, 50-yard touchdown. That's kind of what you're going to need to see. Packers are going to need to, in the way they were able to use Christian Watson last year as really their sole offensive playmaker, do it with Jaden this time. And I don't think Jaden is quite the offensive playmaker that Christian is, but he could be, right? He's still a rookie. Let's see a... A massive Jaden Reed game. That's what I want to see. I think we're going to have to use a lot of Jaden Reed. You're going to have to use a lot of vertical Jaden Reed. Looking at Matt. And you're probably going to have to find a way to run the ball to be able to set up this vertical success. That's what I'm looking for in this game. From Green Bay on offense. Defensively. My first key. Tackle. Tackle. The Packers, they actually did a decent job versus Saquon Barkley last week. Aside from a, a couple of big runs at the end, they held him in check to a actually in an awesome way. This week, however, Tampa is going to try to run. And they've ridden Rashad White the last two weeks to two victories. If Green Bay shuts both him and the rest of the Bucks' rush offense down, they're well on their way to winning. But then again, the Packers. They shut down Saquon for a lot of last week and still couldn't win. Why? Well, while they did tackle and they did finish plays versus Saquon, they didn't do it. They didn't finish those plays versus other players. From Tommy DeVito to the Giants' mediocre at best receivers, Green Bay did not tackle well enough, even close to well enough. And the fact that they held Saquon Barkley to 86 yards and yet gave up over 200 yards on the ground to the rest of the Giants... That's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. And that needs to not happen in this game. How? Honestly, it comes down to players playing well. Savage embarrassed himself. Embarrassed himself last week to a massive degree. Andy Herman put out a tweet, which was, it was some Danny DeVito run. And Darnell Savage came sliding in like a, a baseball player sliding into second base. And Andy Herman put a little gif of an umpire signaling safe right next to the clip of Darnell Savage sliding on the turf, right? Hopefully, well, I'm not going to say hopefully, but maybe he's not out there. And Rudy Ford, Jonathan Owens, feeling well in his place, come up, make tackles. Devondre Campbell, he has been, to put it nicely, 
bad. Really bad. He needs to be better. Isaiah McDuffie, I thought he played well on some snaps last week. He needs to be better again. We need the Packers' best players. Well, not best players, but players who are supposed to be the best at their positions to play like the best at their positions. And at the cornerback spot, we don't expect much. If you're a cornerback, I don't expect you to be throwing your your nose in there on run de- defense. But I do expect you to go out and give an appropriate level of effort and just finish the play when it's there to be finished. And I'm looking at Corey Ballantyne. I'm looking at Carrington Valentine. Just don't gift extra yardage to the to the Bucks playmakers because you 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 can't do that. Green Bay needs to finish plays from the ground game to the pass game to Baker Mayfield scrambling. If they can, I think things look a whole lot better on defense. If they don't, well, it might be a repeat of the New York game. My second defensive key: aggressiveness. Joe Barry, he's a problem. A hundred percent, he's a problem. But it's not just his scheme. It's a general lack of aggressiveness and an unwillingness to dictate on the defensive side of the football. And is that on Joe Barry? I guess some of it, whenever an entire defense has a certain way of playing, you put that on coaching. But the Packers defense has been like this for years, really since 2010, over 10 years, right? So it's, I think it would be foolish to say it's fully on Joe Barry, but in this game, They have to go in and they have to play aggressive. And we've seen them play aggressive in certain games, but just on the whole, the Packers defense hasn't been known to be an aggressive defense. They have to do that against Tampa because they're going up against a not-so-awesome quarterback in Baker Mayfield. He's not horrible, but he's no Patrick Mahomes. So play aggressive. Like, what's the downside? Against Mahomes, yeah, sure, the downside is he can torch you deep. Against Baker Mayfield, that's not going to happen. But I'll tell you what will happen. Just like Danny DeVito... Baker Mayfield can dice up your eight-yard cushion that the cornerbacks are giving. Make sure he, he, he can't do that through aggressiveness, through pressing corners, right? But aggressiveness, it's not just a play-calling thing. It's also a mindset thing. Carrington, Corey, Jair, if he's in there, they have to go up, and they're going to be tested because they're going up against a tough physical group of receivers led by Mike Evans. Go in there, make him regret his life. Play mean, play strong. That's going to be another key. The Packers, they're missing Rasul a little bit in the secondary. Let's see if uh, Carrington and Corey can go in there and fill in and show Mike Evans that they're not going to be pushed around. There has to be an aggressive style of play all around the ball, and that's going to be a big defensive key in this game. With my defensive keys out of the way now, with my offensive keys out of the way, let's jump into the final segment. My players to watch segment, my first player to watch, Jordan Love. And I've said it plenty of times. Jordan Love was bad. He was bad, bad versus New York. How does he bounce back? That's that's one of the biggest things I'm looking for. Well, let's look at how he was bad versus New York. The two things that stood out to me, and Matt LaFleur mentioned one of these, inaccuracy and indecision. Matt mentioned how Jordan was indecisive to start that New York game, but he kind of came back, cleaned up a little bit of his indecision, just played with an effort mentality. And guess what? That's when he started ripping things. Things started looking better, started picking up. Hopefully, maybe he can go into this game and be a little bit less indecisive. I do think credit to Wink Martindale 
Wink Martindale did something to make Jordan unsure because Jordan's looked very sure for a lot of the past few games. So there definitely was something Wink did. Maybe he came up with a few unscouted looks. He must have done something to, you know, get Jordan a little bit uneasy. Hopefully he comes back. He looks more sure of himself in this Tampa game. The inaccuracy, the other issue, that was bad. And yes, it was windy. Dusty Evely put out a, an incredible video of Jordan rolling to his right. And he's trying to throw a ball to the sideline on uh, to Jaden Reed, I think. And in the end, Jaden Reed gets tackled. P.I. gets called on the play. But Jordan's rolling to his right. He throws the ball. And normally, you know, you throw a ball while rolling to your right. It's going to tail a little bit to the right because of momentum. It's just kind of how physics works. That ball, because of the wind, gets pushed back to the middle of the field. It gets pushed, I don't know, a meter, maybe two meters. That is some, there was some serious wind going around. But it wasn't like the wind affected all of Jordan's misses. There were some plays, I mentioned this earlier, where he was missing throws that he has been money on all year. Out routes, he missed two was it two? Yeah, he missed two really egregious out routes in this game. There was the first on the first drive. There was an out route to Wicks that he missed on third down, led to them punting. And then on the, I want to say one of the drives right before the two-minute warning, he missed Jaden Reed on an out route. That was the one where you had Matt LaFleur's reaction going around, where he just kind of goes, ugh. So it was really strange. And I don't know whether it's comforting for you to, to see that Jordan was missing on those throws because, you know, you expect him to get that cleaned up, or maybe it's less comforting because it's like, oh my god, he wasn't hitting all the other throws with consistency. Now he's missing up on now he's messing up on those. I don't know, whatever way you want to take that. But Jordan was missing on some throws that he's been hitting all year. He cited his footwork as something that needs to be cleaned up. He said, you know, he was being bouncy at the top of his drop. He wasn't super steady in his base. Let's see him fix that. Let's see him come back. He's been playing better and better and better every single week. So let's see him come back versus Tampa and continue that trend, clean up the inaccuracy, come out ripping, just turn off the brain a little bit, start ripping the ball, and trust your mechanics. Hopefully, that's going to start getting Green Bay going. If Jordan comes out and he's ripping it, the Packers are going to do well. And without Watson, without Wicks, without Musgrave, the Packers are really going to need him to come out and sling darts. I'm looking forward to it. I'm expecting a bounce back. Let's see what happens. On my uh, my defensive player to watch, it's Carrington Valentine. I'm going back to the well. I'm going back to Carrington Valentine because the Packers may well be down Jair Alexander again, and that means Carrington Valentine is going to be probably the number one corner again. And what does that mean? He's probably, for a decent number of snaps, going to be matched up against Mike Edmonds. Six foot four, 224 pounds. That's a man with the body of Christian Watson. Except Christian runs faster. No offense, Mike. Um, but no, Mike Evans, he's by far one of the best receivers in the league. He can out-physical any corner. He can make any catch on them. He can separate on any of them. And he's going to get his versus Carrington and Corey Ballantyne. No question. But knowing Carrington, knowing his play style, I am super excited to see whether he's going to come out full of energy, juiced up. I expect him to. And if he does... Packers have a chance to go out there and perform really, really, really well against a very tough, tough box receiving core. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch that Carrington-Mike Evans matchup. Old, you know, done everything in the league receiver versus this new, young, seventh-round corner who hasn't really seen the best receivers in the NFL yet. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to see how it all goes down. That's what I have for you. Look, I could tell you I expect the Packers to be really good in this game. I could tell you I expect them to be really bad. Honestly, I don't know. I think both the Bucks and the Packers are teams that tend to lose when they shoot themselves in the foot and tend to win when they don't. And they just, both teams don't have a, a massive margin for error right now. I think that it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, we know what we're going to get from the Packers defense. It's 21 to 28 points. But the question is, which offense are we going to get? Are we going to get the dumb offense or the fun offense? Nice little wordplay there, huh? Didn't realize I was going to do that. Nice rhyming from me. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope the offense comes out and it's fun. Maybe it won't be. God, I hope it will be, though. And yeah, let's just go out there. Dream of Jordan Love ripping darts. Dream of Jaden Reed making incredible plays. Dream of the Packers winning football games. That's what I have for you. Thank you so much for listening to Dedicated Packers. I'll be back on Sunday recapping everything that we saw at Lambeau Field versus the Bucks. Hopefully it's the Packers bounce back win. But try to enjoy these games while we have them. And until next time. Go Pack Goat!